the whole project itself has made the Rural Electric Co-op relevant again to its membership. Welcome to episode 383 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. While Christopher was at the Broadband Community's Economic Development Forum in Alexandria, Virginia last October, he interviewed several people for the podcast, including this week's guest, Craig Ecker from the Tri-County Rural Electric Cooperative in Pennsylvania. Craig and Christopher discussed the cooperative's fiber optic project that will bring high-quality internet access to the rural areas within their seven-county service area. Located in the north-central region of the state and in the Appalachians, large internet access providers have been hesitant to deploy there due to lack of population density and the challenges in a rugged geography. Craig talks about some of the reasons why the co-op chose to invest in the project, the main impetus being the wishes of cooperative members. He discusses the creative approach they took to find out members' wishes. Christopher and Craig also touch on the co-op's partnerships with established municipal network Chattanooga EPB and with cable companies that serve in the area. There are benefits that go beyond connectivity, and as an electric guy, Craig is sure to point those out. Now here's Craig Ecker from Pennsylvania's Tri-County Rural Electric Cooperative. Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. Another live edition, this one also from Alexandria, as we're here at the Broadband Communities event, uh, talking about economic development. I just pulled Craig Ecker, the president of Tri-County Electric in my home state of Pennsylvania. Um, Welcome to the show. Thanks, Chris. Really enjoy being here. You were just on a, a panel with some other rural electric cooperatives, and it was a, a wonderful discussion. We'll capture some of that here. Um, you know, you came across my radar because of uh, this uh, ambitious project that you're doing. Can you start off by just you know describing where you are in Pennsylvania and uh, what you're working on regarding fiber? Uh, Chris, we're in north central Pennsylvania, uh, close to the New York border. We cover about 5,000 square miles, seven counties uh, we're in. Uh, it's a beautiful area of, of Pennsylvania. The Grand Canyon of Pennsylvania is there. We call it the wilds of Pennsylvania. It's a beautiful area, but it is very rural, and we have low density, about six customers per mile. Uh, about four years ago, we started embarking on looking at running fiber to the home. Uh, because there is a lack of uh, high-speed uh, broadband in our region. And so, you know, typical speeds run around 2 meg. And so uh, with today's technology, that's a, that's a pretty tough sell when you're trying to operate equipment. Uh, it's about a 2,800-mile fiber build to the home. Uh, we'll be serving most of our membership and some of the folks outside of our territory also. So we're excited about it. Uh, we're breaking ground. Uh, we're stringing fiber in two weeks. So we're excited to be able to bring this to our membership. Excellent. So you're about to start turning people on for some beta testing type of stuff? Uh, we will be uh, turning on some folks. We call them friendlies. Okay. Where we basically say, hey, here's our service. It's free. Uh, we just want to test it out. We'll probably do about 50 friendlies. Uh, but overall, over a five-year period, we'll probably end up with about uh, 10,000 customers, maybe maybe more than that. But right now, we're looking at about 10,000. So let me ask you how we got this started. I, I'd love if you just tell us a little bit about the uh, challenges you had with engagement, how you resolved those, and that ha- helped to lead to this mandate for doing uh, broadband work. Well, you know, Chris, I'll, I'll be the first one to say I wasn't probably the first one out of the box that said, hey, let's do this. Uh, I'm an electric and a gas guy, not a telecommunications guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, although I will say we were getting, uh, I was getting a lot of requests out of my own staff, the engineering department because we have 26 substations. Uh, we're putting intelligent equipment out in the, in the electric system so we can improve our reliability. The trouble is we just didn't have good communication to those uh, uh, substations, let alone devices uh, downstream from those substations. 
so this was coming on our radar screen and I was being asked that, you know, maybe we should pursue this. Uh, what really drove the decision uh, is the input from our membership, the electric membership, um, asking us to do something uh, with broadband like what we did with electric back in the 30s. So we started issuing surveys and surprisingly, it was like an 80% uh, response rate on, yes, we want you to do this. Mm -hmm. So so uh, we made it a strategic initiative. We started looking at it uh, from a financial standpoint. Uh, Chris, I understand why the incumbents don't do this. It's very ugly once you get out in that rural area. So we have a, a pretty uh, risk-averse board, and they said, figure out a way we can do it, because we had been through different acquisitions in the past where we expanded our footprint with other electric utilities and gas companies. And uh, so we did. And it was a good story to tell. Uh, legislatively, it was a great story to tell. Uh, Pennsylvania stepped up to the plate, and we secured $17.1 million from PennDOT. Uh, to help uh, expand the network, uh, we ended up with um, uh, one and a half million in a state grant. Uh, we ended up very successful in the CAF auction with $33 million. Mm -hmm. And just recently, uh, we received an Appalachian Regional Commission grant for two and a half million, which actually is making this work. Because from a financial standpoint, it was really ugly. But mm -hmm. now, moving forward, um, it, financially, it, it's, it's very feasible. Uh, we're excited about it. When you say that, is, is are you at a state at which you now have all the funding committed that you would need to go everywhere, or that no. you have a sense of you have enough to get a good start, and you have a sense that you'll be able to find the additional funding you'll need in the future to finish it off? We have enough to take enough risk off the table for the cooperative. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a twenty-eight hundred mile build. It's about an eighty million dollar project. So we definitely have enough that makes it um, takes enough business risk off the table. Obviously, mm. we'll be looking for additional grant funding, but this gives us the ability to put this project on a fast track of 500 miles a year. Without that grant funding, it would have been impossible mm -hmm. to even get going in the first piece. We needed about 25 million, okay, to really make this a, a go. Uh, that may have been more of a 10-year project at that point. But mm -hmm. right now, uh, we pr feel pretty good about the, where we're going with this. Uh, the interesting part is the partners you bring along the way. You know, we're thinking fiber to the home, fiber to the business. And now we're looking at backhaul. We're looking at middle mile solutions. Mm -hmm. And we have a lot of people coming to our table, and uh, which is making this project even more exciting and more feasible. And uh, and, I, and I said earlier, it makes us feel relevant again with our membership. <laughs> They're excited. I think the discussion about how you moved your engagement with your members to the fair, I just want to do a very brief overview of that um, because I think people will find that interesting. Well, one of the things with rural electric co-ops, we hold an annual meeting every year. We get the members together and um, we talk about what we've done, what we're going to do. Uh, our issue was, and, and this is not, this is typical for most co-ops. We had less than one half of 1% attending the annual meeting. And it was pretty costly to put that on. It was on a Saturday, and we put together a mini fair um, and uh, food uh, and the whole works. So we just didn't have many numbers coming out. So what we ended up doing is we partnered with a local county fair. It was the largest county fair in our territory. And we ended up taking our membership from uh, that, that would attend the, the annual meeting from about 180 members to now over 1,200 members. Uh, along with guests, we're talking about 2,500 people are attending this event. Mm -hmm. uh, this was a big win for the county fair because we've turned her Tuesday into a Saturday. And the reason we put made it on Tuesday, our demographics are largely an elderly population. It's senior day on Tuesday, which was perfect for us to help us manage costs on this fair. Uh, but it gave us a chance to really engage the membership. And surprisingly, 
the discussions that came at the at the meetings of this annual meeting was not we didn't hear anything about reliability we didn't hear anything about the uh, cost of electricity what we heard is when are you going to run broadband mm-hmm so we found that really interesting, and so that kind of aligned with what we saw in the surveys, and I think those people that were attending the meeting had filled out surveys. Sure, right. And When uh, you show up, you get listened to. Yeah, I mean, you know, we yeah. actually had a member standing up complaining about Verizon, and I, I get a kick out of this, and I told him, you're at the wrong tent. <laughs> you need to go down three tents. <laughs> right. Nice. So, so mentioning the, the senior population, you have a senior-to-senior senior program. Yes. Tell me about that. It's a fantastic program. It's something that uh, we talked about and uh, developed in, in, in staff meetings. Knowing we have an elderly population, when you run the 100 megabit server in your home, you can use it for telemedicine. You can use it for banking. Uh, you can use it for communicating with your, uh, your, your family, your grandchildren. Uh, you know, it's unlimited what you can use this for, uh, especially in a rural area. If you want to get to somewhere, you have to drive. Mm-hmm. The weather's not always uh, the best especially in northern Pennsylvania. so Yeah, if people don't understand, there's not a lot of straight roads no, in, in that no. part of Pennsylvania. That's, that's right. That's right. And a lot of them are dirt. Right. And, and you're in the, uh, the, the, the Appalachians mm-hmm. is where we, where we live. Uh, so we started talking about this. How, how do we help the, this, this uh, generation or this uh, uh, segment of, of, our, of our customer base? And so we created this program called Senior to Senior. And we worked hand-in-hand with the Department of Education and the Department of Aging where we would take seniors in high school and train them to work with senior citizens to utilize computers, iPads, to access their banks, to work with their health care providers, to learn how to Skype and FaceTime, and and just an an array of uh, functions that you could do from your house and Mm -hmm. not have to leave leave the home. Uh, It's been great. The students, the, the, uh, students get credit at the high school for this. Elected officials love it. Uh, I think it's made us relevant. It's made Department of Aging relevant again. Mm-hmm. It's made the Department of Education relevant. And it's a great interaction with the seniors in high school, with with the elderly population. Uh, we're running this throughout the county, um, seven different areas in each county. We'll be rolling this out from county to county as we build the broadband out. you have any good stories about what the, the seniors in high school have gotten out of it, aside from credit for school? Well, I think the seniors in high school finally figure out you know, there's something they have to offer to a group that they actually look up to. Okay. And you see them engage. It's great. Uh, and it's great to see the seniors take interest in what they're doing in their, at their high school and what they want to do in their future. So not only are they teaching at the same time, but they're learning from people they're instructing mm-hmm. on what their career paths could be. And I just think that's, that's, that's a, a great transfer of information. Between generations. And I would hope also build more stronger social ties so people, when they maybe go away to Penn State or something like that, they'll come back. Because I think ultimately that's what we're looking for in a lot of these regions is making sure that that people perceive there's a lot of value in returning to where they grew up. From the cooperative side, that's the reason why we're really doing this. You know, it's, it's just not so that we bring high-speed Internet into your home. But we're actually going to make our rural areas more competitive. Uh, we're hoping to see small business develop over time we'll see a younger generation because when you try to live in your cities today especially your tier ones i don't know how anybody affords to do that anymore (laughs) so we're going to see i'm convinced we're going to see migrations to tier two cities and and then back to rural areas but if you want to see that migration you need you need for the new generation especially the millennials Mm -hmm. you need to have infrastructure so that they can do what they do in, in in their urban areas uh they also really appreciate the environment and so you need to be able to engage them 
with act, outdoor activities. So I think communities that really are investing and uh, infrastructure for outdoor recreation, they're going to hit it off. So if you have infrastructure for technology, you have infrastructure for recreation. Mm-hmm. And I always laugh about this, the microbreweries. Right. Real critical to yep. a nutty question. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'm a big fan of uh, the work James Fallows and Deb Fallows have done. They've, uh, you know, not not very close to you, but they were in Erie, Pennsylvania. They've been to Allentown and Bethlehem. They um, they write a lot about how breweries are an important part of a, a sign that a community is on the upswing rather than the downswing. I agree. It's a place to socialize. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a great to uh, yeah discuss current events. Right. Well, let me let me switch topics entirely to something that I was really excited to hear you say. I had no sense that anyone was doing this. But you've partnered with Chattanooga. Yeah, uh, they're helping us with our Tier 1, Tier 2 calls. Uh, We uh, visited Chattanooga early on. Uh, uh, Very impressed with what they've done so far with that city. Uh, They've transformed that city into a high-tech city. Uh, EPB, their municipal association, um, fantastic folks that work there. Uh, And after uh, working with them for a, a short bit, just thought these are the folks that if we want to be successful, you want to you want to partner with successful uh, other mm-hmm. entities. And uh, Chattanooga really uh, turned that on. I've, uh, we've had them visit us now. Their team have come up to visit us. We're excited about it. So um, they will be a critical partner of our rollout. Now, what do you so when I look at Chattanooga, I, I like a lot of the things you saw. You're an electric guy, though. Chattanooga um, received one hundred eleven million dollars from the Department of Energy specifically, I think, to get a sense of what could be done with the electric grid as an electric guy in a part of Pennsylvania that gets severe weather. Um, you know, all of Pennsylvania really does. Uh, what do you see when you look at Chattanooga? That's going to help the electrics. Chris, you know, it's funny you bring that up. Uh, uh, when I visited Chattanooga, I uh, went down with a senior staff team. And we're focusing on the rollout of fiber and broadband. But what really caught my ear, because I am an electric guy, mm-hmm. they reduced their outage hours that their customers see by 50% because of the rollout of fiber. That really caught my ear. And I said, mm-hmm. I need to know more. And so where that led is because they had the fiber rollout, they were able to put smart devices uh, in their substations, downstream of their substations. And so they re- really created what we call a self-healing electric circuit. Mm-hmm. So even though they still have the same number of outages per year, and, and I'm sure they've cut those down too, but I mean, they, they still have a high number of those, like we all do. Right, they've had a rash of tornadoes. Right. Yeah. Uh, but they've also been able to cut the time in half of what their customers see as far as a power outage. Mm-hmm. That's phenomenal. And, and you know, and in today's a- day and age, you know, electricity isn't a commodity. It's a service. Mm-hmm. You need it. And the only way they did that is by putting uh, smart devices in the field. And in order to make those smart devices work, they have to communicate. You need a fiber backbone. And uh, that that is a benefit of rolling out a fiber. And in a rural network, it's even more critical because your feeders and your circuits are so much longer. It's, you mm-hmm. know, if we can shorten the amount of folks that are exposed to a power outage, that's a win. Right. I mean, it saves you money. One of the things that I was amazed at, Chattanooga has gotten a lot of attention for some of these things. But the things you don't think about is like they have to call people back from their families and sometimes at dinner time or in, in other times because when the power goes out, you need to have crews that are trying to figure mm-hmm. out what's going on. They have to give the people answering the phones. If you have this automation, it really takes some of the stress off of your, your workforce. Yeah, it does. Uh, you know, right now, currently, you know, think about the power lines running through the Appalachian Mountains. Sometimes those linemen have to walk a mile or more through those hills. Mm-hmm. Now we can actually pinpoint the outage more precisely. 
save that time, save that wear and tear on those linemen. I, I got to tell you, you know, that's one thing I don't think we give enough credit to is those linemen that are out there. Mm-hmm. You're right. I mean, they get the call Thanksgiving Day. Right. You know, and it's probably raining, snowing, sleeting. That's when they're <laughs> yeah, out there. They'd rather be hunting probably. Right, I mean, they'd right, be outside right. doing something yeah. more fun. <laughs> and so they're out there doing it. So, so, you know, and that takes a toll on their body. Mm-hmm. So the uh, the more precision we can have saves time, it reduces outage time to the customers, but it also really helps the linemen out in the long run. And so they're looking forward to it too, this technology as That's we roll great. out. So we're excited about that. So one of the things you mentioned is that I would have assumed the cable companies would look at what you're doing and just be uniformly hostile and horrified. But it sounds like you have a better relationship with them than I might have expected. Well, we've been working very closely with the cable companies. Um, I got to tell you, I'm pretty impressed with what they do. They get technology. They're some of the leaders in technology out there when it's coming to broadband deployment. But the areas that we're going to going to serve are areas that they don't want to serve. Mm-hmm. And so we're finding ways to partner with each other, uh, doing joint projects together, uh, leveraging each other. Now, there probably will be some overbuild here and there, but for the most part, we're not going to see it. And and this is something that I've gone around and talked quite a bit about, is that I hear the topic, there's no broadband in rural America. There's no you know good broadband in rural Pennsylvania. Often said by people who have never been in that, rural areas. That's right. And the fact is, there are pockets of good broadband mm-hmm. in rural America. There are pockets of good broadband in rural Pennsylvania. And many times it's... The um, it's the cable companies and it's the small telcos that are actually mm-hmm. providing that. Yes. You no, know, we've we've written a little bit about I, I worked on a study with a professor at Penn State on Pennsylvania for the, the Commonwealth to, to consider what to do. And and actually, the, one of the people who introduced me to you, Kevin Klein, introduced me to some of his other clients um, in Pennsylvania, these 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 locally owned, family owned run companies often that have been tremendous at serving all of their own customers with fiber and then expanding into nearby areas. Yeah. And we're working with those folks. And one of the things that we sit down and we talk about, you know, if if, if you're providing 25, 300 meg, I don't want to overbuild you. Mm-hmm. It makes no sense. And and that saves us money. Right. So I don't want to go head to head if you're providing a great service. I think I think it, it it's not justified. So we do see those pockets. So if you take a look at our build on a map, you'll see we're building all around those pockets. Okay. Although we are doing joint projects with those folks sharing fibers. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a win-win. It is amazing when I hear there's no broadband in rural America because there are pockets of good yes, broadband. Yes, no, that's one of the things that we've done is we've looked at it. For, I mean, the example that I often use because it's so striking is 70% of North Dakota by landmass has fiber to the home available. The best broadband in North Dakota is not in Fargo or Grand Forks where the people, like the majority dense population is. It's where 60% of it is actually rural telephone co-ops. 10% of it is independent companies. Uh, but there's a lot of investment. Like uh, half of South Dakota has fiber to the home. Uh, I think... Um, you know, on the order of 20 to 30 percent of rural Minnesota has fiber to the home. There's tremendous pockets. I, and the, the sad part is then you go a few miles away. And this is actually what I want to lead into with you is that, um, you know, I don't uh, you, I don't want to you don't have to belabor the point. But I am frustrated when I look at the fact that the result of the calf auction is that there are people who are going to be getting your service and very close to them. There's people who are going to be getting Viasat. And the problem is not so much just that Viasat is going to be having money to serve them, but that then you or another telephone company or someone else couldn't get money from ReConnect or a different source to bring a a high-quality fixed connection to that place. 
that's an interesting uh, scenario um, because when we were in the um, in the auction, you know, we don't know for sure, but I suspect uh, Viasat was one of the folks that were competing against us in, mm-hmm. in those in the auction. We're not even sure yet how Viasat's going to uh, fulfill their obligations under under CAF. I mean, that's yet to be seen. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a scenario that can play out. Mm-hmm. That uh, in the next auction that would come along, if some of those census block groups would come back up, we may want to go after those. Right. But now we won't. That that's that's a dilemma that I think uh, it's a policy issue that the FCC mm-hmm. needs to uh, really really work on. Right. I know NRECA is is definitely focused on this, and many rural broadband advocates are focused mm-hmm. on it because I don't you know I, I don't even see it as a criticism of Viasat right. so much as it's a it's a program in which you know if it's going to take you three or four years to build there, then it's really great that they have a Viasat option. That's right. But it shouldn't make it less likely that you're able to build there. That's right. But without but without economic support, it's going to be very, very difficult is what we're finding. Because I've said we're six customers per mile, not even six customers per mile density. That's a tough uh, model when you take a look at the revenue that'll come back per mile on that, on that build. Right. And six people per mile or six like potential customers per mile isn't as bad in Minnesota, where you know, it's a lot easier to just throw a plow in and get fiber in. But that's right. You have those those pesky mountains. In the mountains, way. the trees, rock. It's it, you know the terrain. It, and most of it's ninety five percent is going to be overhead mm-hmm. uh, and utilize infrastructure that we have. Uh, it's a tough build. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, it, it's a good dilemma you bring up. Is there anything else that uh, that we should talk about before we we move on? I've I've wanted to have this interview for a while, so I'm really glad you came to this event. and We had a chance to catch well, I'm, up. I'm glad too, Chris. Uh, I think this has been good. I'm just uh, just what uh, just to throw out to uh, to your listeners that uh, the whole project itself has made the rural electric co-op relevant again to mm-hmm. its membership. Uh, not that we'll ever feel what it was like back in the 30s, but I think we're close. And uh, you know, it's great when your members you know, are yelling out, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, exciting about the build. Uh, on the other hand, it's it's probably something uh, a large company would love to have. Uh, it's meeting their expectations because everybody wants it now. So we've been very mm-hmm. surgical in our marketing on how we publicize it. But the reality is uh, we have 2,800 miles. Actually, we have about 3,300 miles of power lines. Um, we cover about 5,000 square miles of territory. You just don't build this overnight. That's right. <laughs> and meeting that expectation is really the toughest thing uh, to do. But I always ask myself, well, I bet Verizon would love that issue. Right. <laughs> to have that. <laughs> yeah. So that we just go to work. Yeah. So. Great. Well, thank you so much. You're welcome, Chris. That was Christopher with Craig Ecker from Pennsylvania's Tri-County Rural Electric Cooperative. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at CommunityNets. Follow MuniNetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at MuniNetworks. Subscribe to this podcast and the other podcasts from ILSR, Building Local Power, and the Local Energy Rules Podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount helps keep us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle licensed through Creative Commons, and thank you for listening to episode 383 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast.